Our second uh, scripture text this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. I invite you to hear the word that God has for our congregation today. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was on a flight sitting next to an airplane evangelist. When the man excitedly asked me if I knew Jesus, I said, well, I keep trying to get to know him better. That confused him because he was expecting a yes or no answer so he could size up if I was what he considered to be a real Christian or not. When I finally told him I was a Presbyterian pastor, the fact that I was both Presbyterian and a female minister convinced him that I didn't know Jesus at all. <laughs> he said he wanted to save me, so he proceeded to tell me everything he believed. Even though much of what he said was cringeworthy to me, I knew there was no point in getting into a theological debate with somebody who saw things through such a narrow lens. I also didn't want to get him too worked up, so I just listened with the occasional, uh-huh. 
When the plane finally landed and my escape was in sight, he promised to pray for me that I would see the light. If you've ever been to big cities like New York, you have likely run into street preachers shouting at passers-by that they are going to hell if they don't come to Jesus. And then, to make matters worse, you sometimes hear someone shouting back. It can get ugly, people yelling at each other about Jesus, the very one who said, blessed are the peacemakers. Some folks seem to think that sharing the gospel not only means talking or shouting what you believe, but even bribing people to listen. One of the times that I took teenagers to work in a soup kitchen in Washington, D.C., I found out that they required people to listen to an evangelist talk before they were allowed to eat. It disturbed the young people as much as it disturbed me. I have to think that simply feeding people would be a more effective witness than such a manipulative practice. Now, I know this may seem surprising coming from someone who preaches, but people really don't hear the gospel nearly as much as they see it. In our text today, we find John the Baptist, who is out in the wilderness beyond Nazareth, when his cousin, Jesus, walks by twice. John lets the people know that his prophetic teaching has been leading up to the presence of this man. So you can imagine the excitement in his voice when he points to Jesus and said, Look, here is the Lamb of God. Caught up in the moment, two of John's disciples take off after him. When Jesus turns around to acknowledge them, he asks, what are you looking for? He's not just quipping, hey, what do you want? It's a deeper question than that. What are you looking for? If you ask different people that question, you'll get lots of different answers, like, I'm looking for my keys. I'm looking for a better job. I'm looking for a new relationship. I'm looking for success or health or happiness. Part of the answer to the question is tied to what motivates you. Our staff took the Enneagram personality test for a retreat in November. It's a personality typology that explains how people, different people, are motivated by different things, such as success or the desire for peace, knowledge, being helpful. There are nine types in all. Although it's not a perfect tool for examining personalities, it's helpful in getting in touch with who you are and with what you're looking for in life. While there are differences in the things that we all seek, there is also something we have in common because God created it in us. It is a holy curiosity, a posture of seeking, looking for God, even when we don't realize that it's God whom we are looking for. Maybe you and I need to ask ourselves the question more often. If Jesus were to come to you and ask, what do you want out of life? What would be your answer? Do a little soul searching, dig a little deeper, pray for guidance, and perhaps you will find that your need at the core of your being is a kind of connection to God that you didn't realize. 
When Jesus asked the two disciples, what are you looking for? They give him what seems to our ears like a rather weird response. Rabbi, where are you staying? The Greek word for staying also means abide. It's a word we will hear later in Jesus' ministry when Jesus talks about how we abide in him and he abides in God. These disciples want to learn from him, to abide with him, to hang out with him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come on over and I'll tell you everything you need to know. What does he say? Come and see. After staying with Jesus that day, Andrew can't wait to go home and get his brother Simon so he can come and see too. As Jesus looks at Simon, seeing him with eyes that look into his soul, and Jesus gives him a new name, Peter. How often we see Peter abiding with Jesus in the next three years. Time and again, Peter makes mistakes, but he keeps learning. When Jesus is led to the cross and Peter denies him three times, we are told that Jesus turns around and looks right at Peter, and Peter weeps bitterly. Even at the end of his life on this earth, Peter is still learning from him, seeing the one who sees him with love, and compassion and forgiveness, even at his lowest point, and Peter turns his life around. When Jesus looks at you and at me, he sees past the facade that we show to the rest of the world or even to ourselves. When Jesus looks at you, he sees straight to your heart. As Alan Meenan put it, that is what changed Simon Peter's life. It was that look, that look able to see beyond who you are to who you can be by the grace of God. When God looks at you today, God looks past who you are to who you could become. Friends, if we really want to know Jesus, if we're going to come and see, then we have to go where he goes. We go where we see God at work in the world, where people are loved and cared for and lifted up, out of poverty or oppression or violence or sickness or pain or loneliness. And if we want to be disciples, we follow in Jesus' footsteps in the ways that we push ourselves out of our comfort zones to take care of the lost and the least. When we focus less on telling the gospel and let others see extravagant, radical love, they might just catch a glimpse of Jesus through us. In the winter of 1984 in Winnipeg, Canada, the daughter of a Mennonite couple named Wilma and Cliff Dirksen was abducted and left to die in the cold. Although they had never met the man who killed their daughter, from the beginning, they said they were seeking a path toward forgiveness. Yes, they were devastated, they were angry, they were heartbroken, they were gonna be in that courtroom every day but they said they wanted to know who he was so that they could share a love that he had to be missing in his life. When we see that kind of love, we recognize it as Christ-like love, don't we? Even though we have never met Wilma or Cliff, through their living, Christ has said, come 
and see. When we abide with Jesus, when we let ourselves become grounded in his love so that Jesus' way of life becomes our way of life, God uses us to help someone else see. One of the places I have taken teenagers to work on mission service trips is the Bowery Mission in New York City. It's a place that has served the hungry and the homeless in one of New York's most poverty-stricken areas since the 1870s. It's considered one of the most effective organizations of its kind. Although, as it's, although it started as a ministry to men, the program is now a shelter, meals and clothes for men, women, and children in multiple sites around the city. Individualized care helps people to break the cycle of poverty as they are given new tools for how to navigate the world, how to look for employment, how to improve their mental health, how to get the kind of help they need. Years ago, Tony Campolo wrote a true story about a man at that Bowery mission named Joe. Joe had been an alcoholic who had ended up in the streets, and most people who knew him thought he was so far gone there was no hope for him. But as he started hanging around the mission, he was amazed by all the other people who were helping him and people like him. Joe found Jesus because of what he saw in that place, and he decided that he needed to help people too. He began spending all of his time there doing whatever task was needed, no matter how bad it was, cleaning up after a violently sick alcoholic, cleaning awful toilets. It didn't matter. Joe did what was asked with a soft smile on his face and with seeming gratitude for the chance to help. He could be counted on to feed feeble men who wandered into the mission off the street to undress them and tuck them in bed if they were too out of it to take care of themselves. One evening when the director of the mission was delivering an even, evening message for those who wanted to go to the chapel, he was speaking to the usual crowd of still and sullen folks with drooping heads. And then there was a man who looked up and he came up to the front of the aisle and he knelt to pray crying out to God to help him change. The repentant drunk kept shouting, Oh God, make me like Joe! Make me like Joe! The director of the mission leaned over and said to the man's son, I think it would be better if you prayed, Make me like Jesus. The man looked up at the director with a quizzical expression on his face, and he asked, Is he like Joe? That's one of my favorite stories about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, because it challenges me. I don't think that there are people out there saying, oh God, make me like Nancy. I imagine there are times when they would be more likely to say, please don't let me be like her. And yet that is exactly why you and I need to remember Joe's story, to think about what, if anything, people see in us that helps them to see Jesus. It's also something we need to remember as a community of faith. I once saw a sign over a church's front door that said simply, come and see. And there are some wonderful things to come and see here at Southminster. Fellowship, Christian friendship, 
learning, service to others, caring and compassion, mission. At the same time, especially through some of the more mundane day-to-day matters of being a community of faith, it's important to be humble enough and honest enough to ask ourselves, do we want people to come and see everything that goes on here? Perhaps God is calling us to continue challenging ourselves to reflect the light of Christ more and more through this congregation. As a church and as individuals, the really good news here is that God looks past who and what we are to who and what, by God's grace, we could be. It happened to Peter. It happened to Joe. It can happen to you and to me. Every day is a new day. Amen.